Yo, what up, people? You feeling the podcast? Well, log on to wineandhiphop.com right now and click that support the show tab. Pick up some merch and try our brand new Wine and Hip Hop Vino 3-pack. Every dollar you spend contributes to producing more fire content just like this. This is a moment in Wine and Hip Hop. Brought to you by Crew Love. Blending wine and hip hop at the highest level. Wine and hip hop. Wine and music. Tell me up, know what it is. Check this out. Oh, yeah. You'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip hop really mirrors the, the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. Yeah, what's good, y'all? It's your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes, a.k.a. Young Thanos. I got my brother from another right here. Not like, we're not even brothers from another. We might be real brothers be down the line actually. somewhere. I got some questions to ask. <laughs> I think we're twins. Yeah. Separated by a few years, but somehow you remember something, that something happened. It was like a scientific experiment somewhere. That's some what, government thing that was shut down, but like, we came out. Because we're like the same people. I feel different, like... Different periods different, of time, different places. Yeah, we might not be from here, man. We're not from here. <laughs> but I got my man, Michael Justin, in the building. We're at Michael's home studio. We're in the lab right now. We are at Rap City in the basement with MJ. Thank you for having oh, us. Oh, man, always. Thank we're, you, man. We're, we're hooking up a wine and hip-hop pairing. We're pairing De La Souls, I know, with... Eric Kent's small town Pinot Noir Sonoma Coast 2016. Welcome to the show, Long MJ. Overdue, man. Long well, overdue, man. Long overdue. This is so long overdue. You got so desperate, you needed me to come on the show. You know what? Finally, the show made it to the point oh, really? where we right. could have a oh, Michael yeah. Jesse. Don't you don't know. You don't want to just go on your Joe Schmoes podcast. Oh, yeah, sure, you know, sure. this is... Now we're at I a place... I did Joe Schmoes podcast last week. I, it was pretty good. <laughs> Joe Schmo didn't have wine there. That's what That's, it was. That, that was the problem. Yeah, man. But, you know, I, I really wanted to have you on the show. It's, it's a privilege to have you here. Um, you know, I just I figured it'd be a good idea uh, for people to get to know me a little bit better. And to get to know me, you got to get to know our relationship. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's a lot of shit happening right now. And um, when I first started this podcast, there was a while back, and uh, I thought about the name Wine and Hip Hop, and I was like, yo, I should have a podcast with Michael called Wine and Hip Hop. So this is really us finally coming full circle with this whole thing. I, I, I assumed, so right now y'all about to get a sample of what Wine and Hip Hop was going to be when it first all started out man so we're glad to have you here um well, my, <clears throat> jermaine uh pleasure's all mine i've i've watched this young man grow up in the biz uh we are we are like brothers we 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 work still to this day work very closely with each other and uh i'm very proud to call you partner friend brother i love you and uh, i'm glad we're Thank finally you. doing this definitely man it's, it's all we do i think we should hug Let's hug it out. Now, now we getting into. <laughs> um, let's introduce uh, the wine and hip hop community to you. Okay. Now we do that by um, introducing our wine, our rap spirit animals. Everyone has a rap spirit oh, gosh, animal. Yeah. If you had to select a rapper that fit your your style, your spirit, yeah, what rapper would that be? Well. Thank you for asking. You you know enough about me, Jermaine, and my rap interests, of course, over the years. I can tell you who I think it is. <laughs> I'm probably going to say I'm going to say no, probably. But you'd be surprised because as much as I talk about the old school stuff, like the late 80s, you know, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Digital Underground, things I grew up on that to this day, I still listen to all that stuff. And it to me, it's just as fun and fresh as when I was 12 years old. But. I feel like my my spirit animal rapper is ludicrous. Mm. Oh, bitch, get out the way. Get out the way, bitch, get out the way. Oh, bitch, get out the way. Get out the way, bitch, get out the way. Oh, no, the fight's out. I'm about to punch your lights out. 
I can I can see that. What were you gonna say? Ludicrous. Yeah. I know. <laughs> no, you don't know it. Just because I knew you did, but no. <laughs> but that's a different thing because those were groups, right? You know, when it comes to like one rapper, I mean, I just his he's his flow, his lyrics, so intelligent, and the, you know, and uh, the, great. I I love. I just I identify uh, with with his stuff a lot. Yeah. I just I I I, I like the cheekiness, this little tinge of humor. <laughs> you know, funny yeah. guy, smart yeah. guy. Nah, Luda's dope, and you know why I think that's a great spirit animal for you more than anything else. Um, when, as an auctioneer, something that I noticed that you do is you have a great way of projecting your voice. You know how to command a room with your voice, and Luda's voice is very distinct. It like it, it's one of the first things you notice about him. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I think you, I think you knocked that one out of the park, man. Um, and he's so much better than Jay Z, as we, as you, you. I remember you admitting to me after I talked to you about it, right? This must have been um, I was passed out drunk or something. I had you sign that paper. <laughs> that, was, that was what it was. Because otherwise you're just going to be left at the street in Los Angeles. God knows where. Yo, so you got to sign this if we're going to take it that, that's a, that's Jay-Z a, is inferior to Ludacris. That, that's one story that won't make the podcast. <laughs> That you know. Uh, anyway, well, um, that'll be that'll be like the uh, DVD extras. Yeah, that's that's the extras. You got to tune into the the long form version of the show for for that. Um, but me and this dude go so far back, man. We go back to the very beginning of my wine career. Now, almost both of us, in uh, a way. Pretty wow, close. yeah, that is pretty true. Close. You know, I was only in the biz officially. You know, a couple years. Before you joined Zachy's, yeah, because uh, yeah. we both worked together at Zachy's wine auctions. Uh, and Jermaine <clears throat> has one of the most amazing stories of uh, when? When was it that you actually started with Zachy's in the warehouse? Yeah, I started in '04, and you were 20. Yeah, 20 years old. 20 Jermaine was 20, baby, a baby, and uh, just he got a job in uh the wine warehouse our wine warehouse for zaki's which is an east coast uh, uh, it's an international company now uh east coast retailer storage company very much an international auction house and uh and we got uh we were hiring and this was 2000 this was in 04 yeah yeah so zaki's auctions we were we were hiring Looking for when some auctions was hiring in 05. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. So you joined auctions in, in 05. So in 2005, right. uh, the auction company was looking for office help, administrative help, you know, dealing with customer service, dealing with orders, but it was desk job. Yeah. And we got a resume. We looked at it and like, wait a second. It says current employer, Zachy's, <laughs> uh, at you know, the address of the warehouse, 39 <laughs> Westmoreland Avenue, Jermaine Stone. Yeah, currently employed. What the fuck, man? Why didn't, he just, why didn't he just walk down and say, hey, I see you're hiring? And well, one didn't thing led to another to make a longer story short is, all right, well, you know, <laughs> if, the where, if you know, the warehouse manager who we were close with is okay with it, we're okay with it. And Jermaine made this big jump on his own accord and he wanted to go the same route everybody else would. And, uh, that was your start in auctions, and it really wasn't that long after I got into the wine business. That's know? crazy, man. Like, you know, at that time when I was working in the warehouse, um, Mike was uh, just a wine specialist. The wine specialist is someone that catalogs wine, um, they write catalog intros. Um, they're Inspe the one inspecting all the collections for, for auctions. You know, we're talking about the expensive stuff and you have to really scrutinize fill levels make sure the conditions okay uh, yep. so yeah that's yeah what I was <clears throat> and you know when we worked when I was working in the warehouse I'm just some dude shipping department and uh, everyone had to walk out uh, right past me but Mike walked with determination <laughs> you know there was you know a bunch of the people they were just kind of yows the bossing slouching around Mike Mike was always someone that was um, that was on point. So when and all I, those people are now on Oprah Winfrey show and I'm doing this podcast, <laughs> and now here we are. The fuck, man. <laughs> but it's like you know, hard work and determination. Like you always really like 
projected that. Um, so I move into the auction office. I <laughs> probably about what, maybe a month or so after I started, I was about to leave the job. I, you know, I found some opportunities you out of town. Signing. Yeah, I was gonna. I was you, resigning. You, you wrote a letter. I, I wrote a. You know how Very long wonderful. it took me to write that letter? <laughs> you wasted your time. It took it took me a long time to write this resignation letter. When I came back from, I, I went on vacation and came back, and Mike was the auction director. I'm like, holy shit! Like, what happened? My, you know, you know, whatever. Here's this letter of my of resignation. Um, it's definitely nothing to do with the job. I love working here. I think you guys are awesome. And Mike didn't even read it. He was just like, nah. Let's let's figure something out. Just let's just talk for a little while. And yo, they convinced me to stay. You know, there are days that I wish I'd read that letter. And <laughs> you don't want to know what was in that letter. <laughs> just telling you, you know, that's brotherly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. And so you know, but long story short, you were um, instrumental in the start of my career. Like me being taken so seriously at that time it helped me understand it it made me take my career seriously like you know it just it changed things and that was the start of how i started to look at wine as more than just something that you drink but a lifestyle because i'm like what's the big deal i'm just shipping bottles (laughs) in in my mind i didn't see the long-term vision and you know, I remember um, you guys telling me like, "Yo, look, there's a future here. There's like things that you could do." I it was it was totally outside of my mind. So I thought that it would be great to have you on to um, tell some of those early stories oh coming up in the auction world. Now, just out of curiosity, what was your first impression of me when I came into the game? Well, you know, to to you know. Be- Totally honest. No, no, no. I'm not no, here. I, I, no, no. Joking aside, it's fun to joke. Um, very hardworking guy. Very, in, you know, industrious. Very. The fact that <clears throat> somebody that wanted to better themselves and didn't look at some opportunity as that's beyond me, or 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 how how many people would even be have been aware of it? But you were looking you were wanting to better yourself you were ambitious you were industrious and uh and uh then when you actually came to our auction company uh yeah you know you you, we were proving wow you were you know hungry you wanted to succeed you saw as Jermaine you saw a bigger world for yourself you saw more possibility for you and you were trying to better yourself and get to a better you know opportunities you saw that what the world you you had a you were seeing a glimpse of what the world could offer even being a kid from the bronx or something you know and i think uh i've always you know now with many more years of hindsight and having managed you know many many different people you know i mean where you you know kind of college degree you have what kind of upbringing you had what kind of how rich your parents are, whatever. I mean, if you're not hardworking and you're not hungry, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's you, there's a ceiling for people like that, and it's pretty low. Yeah. You know, it, this world is that we live in is, man, you got to work your ass off, unfortunately, but you got to work your ass off to get somewhere. It doesn't just come for free. It doesn't come easily. You hardworking dude with yeah. talent, and you were discovering that talent. So, you know, that's what I saw. And that's why when you were uh, wanting to move on, and I remember his family issues yeah. and, and that's rare, man. It's a really yeah. rare quality to somebody that's hungry, can learn, can do things, wants more, but also it has the respect and reverence of the process. And uh, that was just, that's why, you know, yeah. that's why, uh, you know, and, and look what look what's happened since. Yo, you know, it's look just, what's happened since. It's it's wild because at that time I really I didn't think about any of that stuff. Like I I, I did not see, and you know, it's funny because now everyone's talking about diversity, but I didn't. Um, I just I'm like I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I just didn't think yeah. this was for me. I didn't understand French. I you know I couldn't yeah, yeah. match the pronunciations. I felt like 
this what you know i didn't think that that was for me and that moment like when when i was when i was gonna leave and i was like yo look nah you shouldn't go and stay and that was when i started to understand like okay there's there's really something more here and yo i gotta say man to um to the credit of, of Zachy's and and us working there like dude that was like we were pushing diversity very early. Well, I, I wanted to say the same thing, you know, as much as, and of course, <clears throat> your listeners won't quite understand our, <laughs> our uh, let's say, a unique relationship with our former employee, employer Zachies, but I was about to say the same thing, that there's a lot of credit to that organization yeah. that the Zachariah family built and cultivated, which uh, just naturally, it wasn't even it wasn't even consciously like we need diversity it was just if you yeah, do it, was, it if you can if you are a valuable person can do the job who yeah. gives a shit what color you are what creed you are what sex you are what religion you are as long as you're honest hard-working you know and trust you and you can do the right thing yeah. anything's possible and that's you went from there to being an auctioneer in yeah. the you know the highest level of fine wine Seriously. in a short period of time too. It's, yeah. there was nothing in your way. Nobody was saying, "Well, no, you can't," because guess what? You don't look like that kind yeah. of thing. That that's what we want on the thing and blah blah blah. It's like, no, man. It was just like, it. yeah, do it. And there, so there was a lot of encouragement I wanna, there. I do want to say, mm. I really, if this gets on, I, yeah. I really do. Having been there, and some of the even to the credit of the Zachariah family, Don and Jeff, you know, I'm not, they have maybe even more to do, not that I was in the way, but, oh, but yeah. they allowed a wonderful environment to let people flourish, yeah. such as yourself. Definitely. So I'm not taking credit that, I, I, of, course. of course, it would have gone, but, you know, yeah, they, no. they, they, they deserve uh, an enormous amount of respect and credit. One, 100%, man. Yeah, Don was the dude. I remember when Don talked to me about auctioneering for the first time. And I I was, honestly, I was intimidated by the whole thing. I was, you know, I was like, nah, this isn't for me. I wouldn't yeah, do right. it. And Don was so surprised. Like, what? Really? You sure? <laughs> but I, a friend, a good friend of mine told me that I should just um, approach it. Because I was worried about getting on stage and complicated words. He's like, yo, treat it like you're saying a rap. Yeah. And that was how I treated auctioneering but it helped me to develop my own style man and you so. worked hard at it though because it's not easy it when it's that there's the pace and the timing of it you yeah gotta keep things moving but then all of a sudden it's all these different wine names a lot of french words or italian words or god knows what and yeah. then you know you i remember how hard you work to yeah you get this stuff in your head yeah you yeah know, and uh you did a great job yeah that know? was a lot of fun i miss i definitely miss commercial auctioneering sometimes yeah, man, i do too um it's just it's predictable but still unpredictable yeah you know it's more um it's a much different thing than of course you do a lot of charity auctions i've done yeah. some but yeah doing doing the commercial wine auctions that was for me personally probably if i could the one thing in my entire wine career mm. and I, I mean there's many things done that lot i mean i've done harvest in burgundy and like literally you know punching the grapes yeah. to make wine with the greatest <laughs> burgundy wine you know this is great stuff but actually being on that podium for commercial auctions being the auctioneer is the one it was the that's the one thing i i miss a lot but i love that so much because mm. it's also the one time you were totally in your own space and totally in control yeah and all the other stuff that was buzzing around because behind what we were doing in our kind of organization with Zachy's, right. you know, for us, we could do some auctioneering, but we were trying to, you know, still had to go to the office, run the yeah. show, make the next yeah. sale, deal with There was a lot happening blah, blah, in the blah, blah, background. Like, doing, the, like, but auctioneering for me was like the one time I just felt so at peace and clear-headed. Yeah. I missed that so much. And I loved it. Yeah. I'm now, sure you, you, were, you were damn good at it, man. I, I, I definitely... Learned a lot from your auctioneering style, <clears throat> the way you presented the things. Um, we're jumping a little bit. We we um, talked about your time at Zachy's, but you're like you are the guy in so many people's eyes as far as um, just drinking great wines. Now you didn't start out drinking wines. You didn't grow up with like your parents drinking wine, shit yeah. like that. Um, 
tell me a little bit about your first wine experience. Well, <clears throat> okay, there's, there, there, I think there's like, uh, it's more of not really a first wine experience per se, but I, I think I, I think I had a, <clears throat> a little bit of a taste or a ability to have impression from wine at an early age. My, my parents were almost teetotalers, you know, mm. uh, once in a while, you know, dad would have a beer. I remember being younger. Yeah, there'd be, uh, but they didn't really drink, you mm. know, much at all, not much wine once in a while. And I, I just remember being young and they had like a jug of Reuniti something or other, something red. <laughs> and, uh, I do remember my mom, I don't know how old I was, eight, 10 years old or something. Got a little like taste of it, but I just, I to this day, I can still taste it in my mouth. <laughs> how acrid, <laughs> disgusting, and horrible that wine was. And I remember tasting it, not just like a kid tasting wine, but like, I if had it now, like, this is just bad. <laughs> yeah. And I knew you, that You then. knew it then. So, uh, but I, I, so that's really like the first time I remember any kind of impression of wine. You know? Right. But, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, again, I grew up in Indiana, not exactly, and not, you know, very much perfectly middle class, right? <clears throat> um, our, our vacations were like camping trips to Kentucky Lake and things like this. We weren't mm -hmm. traveling the world or, or, you know, getting the, getting much of a, a view of what was happening beyond right. much of a radius. Of they house, they were right? drinking Rianiti out there too. If anything, <laughs> yeah, or some rock gut, you know, right. moonshine or something. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, I, I, the, the wine thing, the bug, I guess, started, re you know, a little bit, I could say even in college a little, you know, uh, realizing like, hey, I don't mind drinking wine. We get like box wines for parties, <laughs> or I, you know, t going on dates. I'd order white Zinfandel. Think that was cool because it was sweet. And, like, <laughs> and if you're on a date, it's like, oh, the guy knows wine. But you know, of course, now looking yeah. back, like it was garbage. Uh, it, it just exploded when I, I, I went to Europe for the first time after I graduated. Uh, took a trip. A, a girlfriend uh, at the time and I, and then my one of my brothers. And it was the first time to really see the world, you know. And um, we went all over the place, Italy, Spain, <clears throat> France, Austria, Switzerland, you know, other places, Amsterdam and things like this. It was amazing. You know, we were running around for six weeks, spending money we didn't have, you know, on backpacks and all oh, this yeah. stuff. But, you know, that's where like the bug really set in because it wasn't so much like, oh, hey, here's this amazing bottle. What I remember is just, you know, little like trattorias in, in Italy or little places in Spain or something. The food was so good. It wasn't expensive. You just order like carafe of wine that probably mm. the family made in the, you know, backyard or something. <laughs> right. And it was just so great. Like the, the harmony of it, the magic of it, how, uh, you know, those particular wines in that food was just like, it was nothing like ever had anything in the U.S. Again, I wasn't the most traveled guy, though. But I got when I got back to the U.S. after that, I was just, I was on a some sort of quest that I didn't even know, mm -hmm. you know. So I'd go to the grocery store, and I because I went to Spain, I'd look for a Spanish wine because <laughs> I, I was in Italy, and I thought those wines were good. I look for an Italian wine, and I didn't have much money to spend, so oh, right. it's seven ninety nine, even better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's funny how everyone starts that way. Like that is how I was when I started working in the warehouse <laughs> up until a, even like a little while while I, while I was in the um, in the auction office, you know, it was just, oh, that's wine. I work at a wine spot. There was this spot. No, we didn't go there. Um, there was this spot. It was, <laughs> this is so bad, man. It was an Asian restaurant and <clears throat> chef, no, nah, it wasn't chef you. Um, but they had, all, it was, you pay for the food and the wine is all you can drink. <laughs> that sounds like the start of a, like a really bad story that doesn't have a happy ending. We, we called it the wine spot. Oh my God. And because I worked in wine, <laughs> I used to go to the wine yeah, spot. Yeah, thinking, yeah, what a deal. It's, you know what, that I'm makes, I'm happier still alive. that makes me feel better to know that that's a phase that every wine drinker goes through at some point. It's true. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's when you're learning and you don't, you know, you got to start somewhere though. Yeah. You really do. You know, everybody's got their story. And that's and, funny. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what, what then drew me like to the business, what drew me to, uh, the, uh, 
like being a professional, I, I was lucky. A separate kind of job. I, I, I had a, a I, I took a job after college with the big multinational con- accounting consulting company, Deloitte and Touche. At the time, it was Deloitte and Touche. Now it's just Deloitte. Uh, and I started in the Detroit, Michigan office uh, there for a short period of time. That's where I met Sarah, my ex-wife. Right. And um, uh, not long after that, I was doing really well with this. And wine, the wine thing was like bubbling up. It was percolating, right? But I got the chance, I got the opportunity after about seven months or so to transfer to the New York City office. I'd never even been to New York City. Wow. I'm like... How old were you at this time? I was 22, 23, 22, 23. And it was like, hey, sounds great, man. <laughs> like, I'm here. I'll go to New York. And that's where things really shot up. And you're mm. from New York. Yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, New York, the Empire's, you know, city, Empire State, whatever, you know, it's like the song, you know, yeah. like... You, make you get it hit with those anywhere, lights. But also, like, all kinds of dreams can come true. It can also, of course, I'm, I, I know, being an outsider coming in, I know a lot of people were, that New York City chewed them up and spat them out. I was lucky enough, like, you know, uh, to make it. And after about three years, I was working and consulting. Uh, but my wine love was growing and I was meeting people who were like real wine people. I was starting to do go to like wine events and wine lunches mm-hmm. and, <clears throat> and fun stuff and not even but learning more because suddenly a place like New York you have more access. Yeah. You at, know at you, that time were you consciously trying to learn more or yes, just like enjoying totally, the life? Totally. Okay. It shot up. Shot shot off. Meaning I mean I was buying books. I would just go wow. to bed at night, not even drinking wine, but just like pouring through like Robert Parker's Bordeaux book. And we're talking, this is almost 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, like Michael Broadbent's vintage wine book, soaking it up and wow. loving it. And not even, I mean, not even, you're reading about wines at that point had virtually no access to, but it was just amazing to think like, holy shit. Yeah. There's this w- crazy, amazing world out here. That's like, I wonder what that's like, you know. Chateau Lafitte, Petrus, yeah. Latash. Wow. Holy shit. So... So you were reading about these yeah, wines. Yeah, soaking up information that... At this time, did you know that the wine auction world existed? Or were you... No, not really. Okay. I mean, not not. I wasn't that conscious of it right away. I did uh, a dear friend that I met in the city who was uh, one of the most instrumental people for how I got into wine with Armand. Armand DeMille. You remember Armand. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I met him before I got into the business, right? And, uh, and uh, but when I was making the jump, I, I did realize at one point, like, you know what, fuck it, I'm a young guy. I love wine, I should try something in the wine world. It doesn't pay as well, and yeah, it's gonna be a step down, and you know, I'm not on this partner track thing where, yeah. you know, I could be making a million bucks at the age of 38 or so, whatever. But I was miserable anyway, and I was like, yeah. I, I was, in all due respect to people that stay in that path, I was I saw the people that were like the partners and things. It's like I don't identify with them. No judgment. Yeah. But like that's not my that's right, not the path right. I see for myself. Right. You know. Uh. But Armand was, you know, he helpful as like a wine guru because he had a great seller. And suddenly, the first time we met, and it's a longer story for another time, but show up to his apartment and uh he had 1888 lafitte no not lafitte sorry 1888 chateau de kim and 1988 chateau de kim and the rest was history you know and uh but but this was this was um that was about six months or so before i joined zaki's you know we quickly like developed this amazing friendship uh and i got to suddenly like it was exploding got to taste even more things he would he was going to auctions at the time so i would mm. i went to some auctions with armand at the time and i saw that world you know and then you know it's such a longer story yeah yeah but uh, i had a dear friend who moved to new york got a job with zackies moved from indiana got a job with zackies in the auction department and I didn't even really think that much at the time of, oh, that would be cool. 
I just remember sitting at my desk one day as a man, as a consultant man, just like, oh my gosh, you know, wow. And I emailed my friend Ben, Ben Nelson, who's now president at Hard Davis Hard. Right. So he's now a big thing in the wine world. I'm like, are you guys hiring? And literally, like two days later, I'm interviewing with Jeff Zachariah, and like the next week, I'm working at Zachy's Wine Auctions, just as you know, the lowest level grunts. Right. And it all within less than two years, I was running the company. Yeah, it, it's definitely a place of opportunity. Totally. Again, credit to Don and Jeff. Yeah. As much as there's some tumult in our collective histories, <laughs> I have nothing but wonderful things to say about them. Nothing but great things, man. That, that's Story for other times. Yo, just want to take a sec to give a big shout to my people at Wide Roots Imports. The role of a good wine importer is to tell the story of the land that the wines are from. Wide Roots does that in a very judgment-free way. They're an educational resource for people that are new to wine, and if I'm rocking with them, you know they keep some fire on deck. Right now, bringing in wines from Spain and Italy. For more info, go to WideRootsLLC.com now. So something that I think has re really connected us was um, music. We always vibed over music. I remember, like when I first, when I started out I, at uh, Zachy's auctions, I was still rapping. Yeah. You know, I was I know. Um, still there. Like I remember I'd have like little... I played like a song in the warehouse once, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we always kind of, we always jammed over that. And I know you are an old school hip hop fan. Big time. Let's see here. I'll, I'll tell you, there was a point, you were already at this notch, right? But you moved up to this notch right here after um, we, we were at a retreat and we were having this conversation we were talking about MC Hammer, and for the life of me, I could not remember his debut album title. And Mike was like, within earshot, please, Hammer, don't hurt him. I was like, oh shit, who knew? Not even like, part of the conversation. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea that you were that deep into hip hop. And you know, for you guys, like, it wasn't like it was like right now, where hip hop is the dominant form of music. Like this was, I, I was very, very impressed. So tell me a little bit about your journey into hip hop. Well, like actually, when did that start for you? Well, wow. I, you know, I, I, have a, I have a pretty good memory for things, you know, and, and sometimes it's moments, much like the Reunidian stuff. But I want to talk about the hammer, you know, funny enough, so fast forward, I got to know Hammer, as I've told yeah. you. you know, we, we hung out. I mean, I'm not as much in touch with him as I was, but like on Instagram, you know, I'll make a comment, he'll do something. But literally, we, you know, fast forward. <laughs> right. You know, I'm hanging out with him, you know, parties and stuff, and cool guy. But Hammer was, at that time, you know, my like middle school years, Hammer was the biggest fucking bee's knees. Man. Yeah. He, and he was, he was, like the soundtrack to my formative years right I, I mean he was he was at that time picked up the torch from michael jackson in a way i mean Seriously. michael jackson was always already big but like man you know, hammer hammer, doing, he did pepsi commercials and stuff probably, too right yeah so. hammer was like epic superstar level wow you know and uh so that's part of why i, I that just happened to be something so close yeah that you know mentioning mc hammer it's like Yo, I that couldn't... was like my childhood, so just in a good way. I just yeah. remember school dances and MC Hammer, or let alone, and at that time you're buying tapes. Yeah, it wasn't even CDs. <laughs> this was a different era. You know, I mean, there are some you, some CDs were starting to come out, but that was no bullshit. It was yeah. still very much tapes. Uh, but Hammer was, man, you know, to this day, just the biggest thing and so great. That, that's why that wasn't so hard to uh, come back to memory. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the hip hop stuff, yeah. I mean, that, that's I think around that time, like when Hammer was coming out, late 80s, you know, I'm becoming into uh, you know, almost teenage years and things yeah. like this, and suddenly you're you know, getting your identity, your music, your look, your this and that, you're yeah. realizing 
you know, there's a there's something about being cool or not or social shit and all this, and suddenly <laughs> yeah. you're noticing girls and like you know, suddenly you wake up and that thing is like, <laughs> like whoa, what the fuck happened here? Move on. Nobody told me about this. What am I supposed to do now? But you know what I mean. Like that's pretty right. rough and rugged years. You know, yeah. as a young person, young boy, young man, whatever. But uh, you know, I think you know a lot of factors. You know, in those days. You know, if it's, you know, people of your generation, maybe not even as much as my generation. I'm mm -hmm. only 43. I'm not that old. Yeah. But, but I was probably, I'm, I'm kind of like at a transition of where things are really starting to change. You know, where, okay, I mean, we could have hours of discussion and debate yeah. about this stuff. But like in those days, radio was important. MTV yep. was important. BET was important. Yep. I would run home from school, and I remember the programming, like MTV, Yo MTV Raps, with Ed Lover. Oh yeah, and Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, but not that Dr. Not Dre. The, it was the, the big Dr. The Dre. The big Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. <laughs> and then there was, uh, BET had uh, Rap City. Yeah. And actually the BET Rap City was even better because yeah. it was showing stuff that wasn't quite as mainstream, but yeah. it was really fucking good. Yeah, man. yeah. And so, I don't know, I mean, as, you know, podunky white dude in southern Indiana, yeah. you know, that the industry did a really good job. The music industry did a really good job of marketing and spreading this out. But some of the, the big, if you think about it, I mean, it was things like NWA, Eazy-E, uh, that really caught attention, you know, because yeah. it was so radical. It was, you know, yeah. it's so it was and especially suddenly disruptive. You're hearing, disruptive, and there's songs that are just like hardcore and lots of cuss words and yeah. like you know badass dudes from the ghetto, yeah. Compton, California, and shit yeah. like this. And I tell you, man, just as a random Midwest, Middle America sort of, we ate that shit up as white kids. Mm. And even though they had the, you know. The uh, parental advisory label. We tried to we tried to sneak in and figure out at the you know the at that time you go to the mall and there were you know record stores. <laughs> yeah. It's a world that doesn't even exist yeah. anymore. And you try to pretend you're 18, and of course not. <laughs> How many times got rejected trying to buy like to Two Life Crew or NWA or Easy E or shit? <laughs> and then it was like it was like you know kids who are trying to buy booze. You, then you find yeah. like somebody who has an older brother or sister <laughs> or or like a parent who doesn't know any better. Yeah, you know. But somehow we got no, no bullshit. But also, if somebody, if one person got it, yeah, you know, at that time they also oh, had yeah. like a, a lot of dual cassette boom boxes. So okay, you yeah, know, dub it out. If you have one, <laughs> then you can just. This is this is the era when you you either some people would take tape and put it over the little holes in the top of the tape. I used to stuff the top with tissue. That's right. You know, you because you gotta they, wet they the tried tissue. To do, that's right. I you know what? I didn't even remember that until you said it, which was yeah. they had a way that was trying to prevent uh, piracy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, but it was so easy. You know what's all crazy? you had to do was like fill it in with something. It didn't even this matter. Is, this is what I love about wine and hip hop. There's always a teaching moment. I did not know that was to stop bootlegging. That's what it was. That's so funny. And like, just as a kid in the hood growing up, you just automatically knew the it hack. Was easy thing to do. <laughs> Like, Yo, I mean, that's was, hilarious. Like, but you know that if you ever, you know the in the industry, like better nothing. But wow, we're <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, what can we do? You know, they can't. You, it's not as a, you can't like remake a record. That's difficult to do. Like yeah, those tapes different. were just so easy well, to the, dub. You had the, the. That's exactly why the audio <laughs> companies made those dual cassette decks. And those yeah. were. The, I remember the first one I got, man. And it, you, it was like a boombox, two two cassette, way before CD. Yeah. And the, you know, like the uh, side speakers, you could detach them and yep. you could set up whatever you want. <laughs> you know, it could, it could be battery operated, or you could mm -hmm. plug it in. And uh, oh my god, you know, I I know, no kidding, man. I wish I had those. I gotta tell you, I never told you this. I was doing my own little cutups. Ah, like, had a mixtape like, going. MC Light, like, uh, like NWA things. And, like, I thought it was Mr. Cool, but it was literally because you have one. Tape side to the other, and like, okay, play record. Yep. Stop. Play, <laughs> exactly. And trying to like splice it up. Trying to do it at the same. No, the best was like back in the day, you would have, we would have like a radio tape yeah. where, because you got to listen to the radio all day, wait for your song to come on, 
and so you can oh, yeah. get the, the the perfect mixtape like oh wait my song is on you run and you know it's already in a deck all my mixtapes would start like the song would be like 30 minutes missing or something like that because you might have missed it that's that's a beautiful error i had no idea that's what that was for well, it, it totally was you know that and th- so this funny. was like a, actually like the whole tape thing was a short little blip because yeah. cds then i got it's i have a funny story about that because do the same thing back in those days you know suddenly you're talking like old man like i feel like i'm an old man like i, I know, feel like it's... i'm listening to my grandpa like the stories but i remember once like being a dummy kid and uh oh a song i really wanted to hear finally came on so i yeah. pressed record yeah and i'm like i wonder what happens if i uh you know wait wait because the uh the my stereo or, or the thing boombox was plugged into this thing that was controlled by a light switch yeah i'm like will this still record if i turn off the light switch <laughs> <laughs> I was like 10 years old, you know? I mean, this is dumb shit. Yeah. Like, let me try this. And now I'll put it back on. And of course, yeah, then it's like playing. It's like there's this little cut and like... <laughs> but that's the shit that you... That, that pops up when oh you're a kid, man. man. So, so my generation, and looking back at it now, you know, having come to New York and being, let's say, closer to, you know, this, the source, if you will. And even, yeah. as you know, we traveled a lot to... Uh, west coast la and things like this and really seeing what was you know like the settings for a lot of this music if you will but that industry at that time was just on it because they marketed so well to middle america middle america white boys like yeah they were telling you man they were settling in so it was it was impossible it was impossible to avoid anyway but i just loved the music i connected with Mm. it you know i i don't know why you know sometimes and i love all kinds of music all kinds but there was just something about it. It was just original, as real. Something mm. raw about it, even. But even like we were talking about, I love the, I love the, you know, like the De La Soul or the, you know, Tribe Called Quest sampling and stuff. I, I just thought it was the, you know, like fucking coolest shit that, oh, you know, making an amazing song on top of or using parts from other, like mm-hmm. that's fucking brilliant and it worked yeah. out. But that 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 era, like late '80s, w- was just such a wonderful explosion. Like yeah. that is truly. An apocal time for music history, not just hip, but like what was happening changed yep. everything. And so being so open-minded but young and impressionable at that time was a, unbelievable. <laughs> no kidding. Every day after school, the bus stopped a little after three o'clock on my block. I ran home because like I think it was Young <laughs> TV rap started around three, ran till four, and then BET Rap City, rap City, City was like four <laughs> to five. <laughs> every day mm. like my middle school years been so it was wonderful so it hit home that that that's interesting because it's so you don't really think about how marketing comes into play with that like I, i've never really thought about that but i think that it brought middle america closer to um closer to new york and closer yeah. to like it brought all of these different areas where you know you had different people from totally different walks of life like they got to see what was going on you got to see how other people were living and not even to say like and that's the thing about rap a lot of these rappers aren't doing all of these things but it's like reporting what's going on around you and like i think music is great for speaking to the the essence of a time let me tell you something I had a poignant mo- moment with my mother as mm. a child where hip-hop connected us a bit. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> you know, she's hearing some music I'm playing. And I'd gotten one of the, what I think, one of the, not just hip-hop albums, one of the great albums ever. No kidding. For at the, Especially at the time, the impact, the meaning of it. Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet, mm. right? And I remember I got it on tape. But in the tape, there was this... Uh, this little fold-out white paper insert with all the lyrics and such. And, uh, but I'm playing this in my room, and my mom's hearing stuff and hearing bad words and all this. And I'm, I don't know, this came out 89, so I'm 12, something, you know? Maybe, you know. And she comes in, like, knocking on the door, like, what is this? <laughs> you know, hearing bad words and stuff. Well, mom, it's... And I have a great relationship with my mother. You've yeah. met her, you know? Yeah. And she... I. You know, thankfully, no, she's a fair, fair, open-minded person. Thankfully, it wasn't my father. I would have 
<laughs> I probably would have not. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about hip hop. That's my dad, crazy. But, but uh, anyway, she's like, "What is this? I'm hearing all this bad." I'm like, <laughs> she didn't treat me like I was doing something wrong. Mm. She didn't treat me like I was bad. You know what? I I said, "Well, it's Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet." It's music I like. And she, you know, I gave it to her. She she went to her bedroom, looked at the lyrics, and my mom. You know, when she was in her early 20s, late 60s, protest music, Woodstock, shit like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. How could she... No, and this, I'm coming from her perspective. Right. She's like, okay, I get it. So she took the lyrics, no, read she them. Read, she was reading like, all right, you know. But wow. she under, she grew up in an era of music and liked that, the kind of music that yeah. was like protest music. That was like meaningful music of a time where that That's was real. necessary. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So she didn't say, oh, no, no public enemy, no yeah. blah, 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 bad word. So wow. I got to say, that helped too because it's like, then, it's, then you're not feeling shunned or you're yeah. not feeling like, oh, I'm doing something bad and I'm happy about yeah, it. But like, yeah. The acceptance actually. It my wasn't own, my, my own mother who, I mean, she's hearing this. To her, it's just not, not really yeah. connecting, but she sees it and she says, okay. You know, but she's a she was a child of the '60s, you know, wow. late '60s, flower power, and all this yeah. stuff. It's not that that era, in its own way, wasn't much different than like the the Woodstock era. You it's know? very true. No, I mean, and look, Chuck D, man, shout out to Chuck D for passing the mom test. Like, because sure, if, if he was just saying a bunch of sh- bullshit, like your mom would have been like, "Yo, what the hell are you listening to?" But the fact that his lyrics had some sort of meaning that says a lot that says a lot i got man shout out to your mom for that that's very cool you know i don't think she would even remember seriously <laughs> but you know when you're and you're a parent also yeah. you never know what little thing might in a good way be yeah. such an influence to your own child you know this is this is interesting because um you know i've definitely taken a lot of my um lessons in fatherhood from watching you with your children and your family, I, I definitely think that um, you're, you're a great family man. And um, we're, we're family. Exactly. Look at this. Right. We got to hug, hug that we, out. We, family. We, we, brothers hug. Brothers right? hug. That's right. That's right. Um, but I, I, I find I, I have not necessarily issues with this, but it's always a little weird when my son is listening to stuff that I, I mean, I can't, obviously, the shit I listen to, the shit I listen to, I can't tell him not to listen to X or whoever, the, the, whatever, um, Chef G or these different guys. Um, I can't tell him not to listen to stuff. He's listening to guys talking about gang banging, all this stuff. And it's weird for me to I say. I wouldn't even let him listen to Chef Boyardee. <laughs> you know? I know who Chef G is. <laughs> Chef G ain't Chef Boyardee. <laughs> yeah, Chef G serious. But, you know, um, how do you uh, speak with your kids about listening to hip hop lyrics or, well, not just oh. hip hop lyrics, just lyrics and songs and shit like how do you maybe I'm how a, do you approach actually, that i don't know you know other parents will judge and i think you know i don't even have to i mean we're playing i play this music yeah them, whatever i don't know they're old enough i think the bigger worries it, it, we don't have any control this these yeah. days as parents you know you in, especially if kids get older they're gonna have their phones it doesn't even matter if they have their own iphone or smartphone yeah. their friends do or they have act we have no idea the shit they're into and have already seen that is probably beyond the wildest, sickest, craziest, most know, disgusting. Right? There were parts shit. of the internet that we're not. They've been to the ends <laughs> of the internet, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, they know how to get around this. So, like, to be honest, you can't, you can't, you almost, you, you just, rather than focus on trying to control your child and protect them from this really crazy world, which is so much different than what we grew up in. Mm you just I think just be a real person and know that they're you love them and you're there for them I don't know there's yeah. no way this tidal wave of the internet and the shit that's on the internet yeah I mean the I mean I would rather just be close with my kids and all I want for them is that they know I love them mm. so just don't you know? even 
I want them to know that I love them. That's the main thing. I That's know. it's funny, man. I I I fall into that because yeah, I listen. I like. I mean, just in the car on the way up here, the shit we're listening to. You know, we're in the era in hip hop music where parents are listening to the same music as their kids. So yeah. I just thought that was interesting um, to get your take on, you know, because you really, I think you do a great job with the kids, man, especially, um, yeah, just seeing these guys grow up. What, shout out to Max. We're here on his 13th birthday. 13th birthday. Max, <laughs> just a teenager. You That's got scary. a teenager on your hands, you man. You. Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. I know. <laughs> we're we're no, you and you. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's 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 definitely one of those you know goalposts, I guess, in life. Like, I know, right? You know? I got a team. No, pretty soon it's like now I have a kid in college. It's like shit. That's yeah. expensive. I'm prepared for this. <laughs> it's right around the corner. <laughs> oh man, we drinking some good stuff here yeah, today. Um, so we were doing some some Pinot Noir. We got a little. Um, New World Pinot. What are we drinking here? We got uh, some Eric Kent Pinot Noir, small town. I just Sonoma Coast Pinot. I really the best, uh, you know, one of the best uh, sources of Pinot in America. You know, and it's where, the, where it's where the Pinot grape is really thriving in uh, in what you call the New World. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, so Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir. And you know this is interesting wine because I, I haven't tried this uh, this particular bottle, but uh, Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir, Eric Kent, two thousand sixteen. And um, I, I got to tell you, I'm really I'm really impressed without knowing a lot about the producer, mm -hmm. but knowing quite a lot about Sonoma Coast, of course, the grape. Uh, you know, for tying this. If we're tying this to the, uh, the music discussion that we're having, mm -hmm. you know, it reminds me actually a bit of uh, the De La Soul song, I Know. Greetings, girl, and welcome to my world of phrasing right up to back. It's the daisy age, and you're about to walk top stage, so wipe your lottoes on the mat. Hip-hop love this is, and don't mind when I quiz your involvement before the sun. But clear your court, cause this a one-man sport, and who's better for this than plugged one? Plug don't one. have to worry about me squashing other deals, cause they've already been squished. Meaning, there's something classic? Mm. It doesn't come necessarily from <coughs> what is, is historically... A traditional region for Pinot, but it's become a traditional region. Yeah. Now Pinot thrives in the Sonoma Coast of California, but this is made in a more classic, older school style to really resonate. But it's it's it, it's meant to be its own thing. Yeah. It's not trying to pretend to be uh, Pinot Noir from Burgundy, Great Red Burgundy. That's a different. It's it's trying to be an expression of its own place. Right. Going back to the music that we were listening to De La Soul's I Know, which was built on top of samples heavily from Steely Dan's Peg, which is a great song in its own right. Mm. It reminds me of that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it's, uh, it, it's maintaining its own class, its own dignity, but it's leaving its own mark kind of on the uh, shoulders of what has come before it mm, you know mm, it's a it. really really wonderful one. mike's out here spitting bars man <laughs> and i'm not even i have no idea i'm not we're not it's not like we're yeah 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 this, yeah but I'm, I'm impressed and I Wait, we're just talking about what we drank today <laughs> yeah so i'm impressed but it, it ties to the music discussion too because i think for places like <clears throat> the sonoma coast or oregon for pinot noir yeah. where pinot noir is one of the most difficult grapes it, it's not really grape, i didn't know that it's a very difficult grape it doesn't thrive in uh many environments there's specific places where it is if it's the right conditions it can be fabulous so yeah. like <clears throat> sonoma uh oregon uh makes wonderful pinot noirs and of course burgundy yeah the you know the burgundy region of france which 
Pinot Noir for the Reds. That's the it's the, the Grand Vin. You know? Yeah. So I'm impressed. Seriously, we're not. Yeah. You know, this isn't even like fucking infomercial. Yeah. You brought you you you've introduced me to this, and I'm gonna. I want to look into it a little bit more. Yeah, it. not. It's great. It's kind of I, class. It's done in a classic style. It reminds me of the De La Soul. I know. Yeah. So this is why I, I wanted to pair this with De La Souls. Yeah. I know. <laughs> because I knew. No, I got to say, man. Um, <laughs> I know. Nah, I, this is dope. This is, um, this is very, this is good. I mean, I'm always, a, for some reason, artist label wines do it for me, man. Yeah. I don't know. That's just always some There's a lot of cool heart and soul in this wine. I'm going to look into it. And I, I, you know, we open this without uh, just sort of let's see what happens. Let's see how we compare it. Yeah. But uh, much like great hip hop music, you know, there's there's definitely you can tell when there's like something soulful and yeah. heartfelt behind it. Uh, and wine can be the same way. You yeah. Know? And for, for me, the the one the first thing I notice, whatever it is, there can be good, great wine at $5 a bottle. There can, obviously you can pay $50,000 or whatever. Harmony. Mm. Do the component parts work? Does it, you know, is it very saying to you some way? Is it saying something? A lot of people ask, you know, how do you know good wine? Like, I think that is, that's it. Well, that's, you turn that question around. You say, that's up to you. Mm. Is it good to you? Yes or no? You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you know good wine? What do you think? That's easy. What do you think? <laughs> what do you like? Is it good or not? <laughs> it means nothing about price, producer, yeah. where it came from, how old it is, how expensive. What do you think? That's You turn that question around. Mm -hmm. It's all There's about... only one test for wine. Yeah. Do you, do you like, like it, it or not? Yeah. That was... That was um... Uh, a MJ lesson very early on. That was an early on MJ lesson. We gotta, you know what, man? We're about to start uh, an Instagram page called MJisms. MJisms. <laughs> I don't know if that came out. Uh, there's, there's something. We <laughs> need to work with this a little bit. There's two MJisms running around upstairs something right now. Something tells me that's probably taken. <laughs> and I don't think you want to visit that page, but all right, man. Yeah. Nah, man, that was, that was an MJism that, that really, um, that was something that stood out because it takes the whole, it, it takes the intimidation factor. Out of wine. Shouldn't be intimidating. Wine should not be. Let's get over that. I would. I say this to anyone. You know, want, want, You know, neophytes or even 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 less. It's not even so much people like don't know shit about wine. Never even really tasted. Right. It's, it's actually. It's more. You know, people I speak with that like know they like wine, but then it feels like you're just facing this big giant gray brick wall that is you can't ever overcome it you can't yeah. knock it. it's no 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 You're, you built that wall yourself it's easy much like movies music mm. trust your own instincts and your own taste it's subjective yeah it's as easy as this do you like it or not start there maybe even stop there then you can go fucking crazy like you know like i did which is read all about it know all the regions right. the grapes you know the the, the microclimates the viticulture practices the various vintages you could take it as far as you want or you can just say well, yeah it's good <laughs> it's good great or i don't <laughs> like it and that's fine right wine should not be something that should have any kind of uh you know judgment or class system or you know it's 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 subjective yeah. you like it or not it's like it's music that's yeah you know? that that's the thing you know I, I, you can't it's so difficult to have an argument about music you know because like what's the criteria there are no rights <laughs> and if you're arguing then you, you're fundamentally yeah. off base because why argue it's just like okay yeah. i mean wait ludicrous is better than jay-z but i mean <laughs> everything else there's no argument you know what I mean? Oh man! You but signed that thing. That I did. I did. I, it's a. It's an evening we ain't gonna speak about on I this on can. this show. I know you. I can. can't contractually. 
<laughs> because of what I saw. <laughs> no, Chris, Chris is better than Chase. <laughs> oh man, MJ, My thank man. thank you for having us. This was so much fun. I'm sure we'll probably have like three or four more of these. A lot of different versions of this are going to happen. So thank you for the first one, man. My pleasure, Jermaine. In a way, we kind of do this all the time. Yeah. Just, now it happens to be recorded. We just recorded it. That was it. Peace. Cheers. This was a moment in Wine and Hip Hop brought to you by Crew Love.